It's Friday, August 4th, and this is Pennsylvania Legacies, the podcast series from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council. I'm Josh Rollerson. We often begin this show with the rundown of the week's environmental news, but this week there's really only one story, the state budget. Or to be a little more precise, the story is the political machinations surrounding the budget process, which could lead to major changes in the way the state enforces basic environmental protections. The old checks and balances that you learned about in high school civics are gone. A revenue package approved last week by the state Senate includes several amendments that fundamentally undermine the Department of Environmental Protection and its ability to process permit applications in accordance with the law. By the way, these amendments are unrelated to the actual budget and are therefore potentially unconstitutional. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. This is a very big deal. And to paint a picture of exactly how big, we're going to spend this week's show in conversation with somebody who knows the agency and the budget process inside and out. David Hess served as DEP secretary under two Republican governors. He now runs the PA Environment blog for the Harrisburg firm of Cresci Associates. After two decades in and around state government, he's pretty much seen it all. But he told me he's never seen anything quite like this. It might be helpful to start with just kind of a primer on the budget process. We do have a spending plan that became law without the governor's signature earlier this summer, but we are not through with this budget process. Is that right? That's right. They did pass the spending plan right at the end of June, but... The uh, budget still has a deficit of about $2.2 billion in it, and that's the piece that that they are trying to make up at this point. And that deficit covers the, the last fiscal year that just ended and the new fiscal year that we are in now. So they have to make that amount of money up uh, in some form of revenue or transfers or something and that's what they're trying to do now. So that gets done using a couple of specific types of bill called the tax code and the administrative code, is that right? Well there are a couple bills that usually follow the budget to actually implement the budget. The tax code, absolutely right. The administrative code which is usually meant to uh, direct changes to programs or responsibilities and The other big one is the fiscal code, which can be used for a variety of different things these days from uh, how programs are administered or directions to agencies about how they should spend the money that was appropriated in the spending plan. So those are the, the big three that typically go along with any package. So this is something that happens from time to time. You have the spending plan passes or becomes law, and then a lot of stuff kind of gets rushed in the back door at the last second on the the fiscal code, the tax code, the administrative code. Riders kind of get tacked on. And this year we had had some interesting ones, yes? Well, you, you could call it interesting. I could call it almost devastating in some respects, especially to DEP's existing permit programs. And, you know, those came in the tax code, which is a very odd place for them to be. But what happened in in the Senate-passed version, uh, and that's all that we have out there at this point, the House has to take up its ideas for raising revenue. But the Senate essentially made a deal with itself that said uh, they will enact a natural gas production 
severance tax to generate about $108 million in the coming year. And that's over and above what we have right now in the drilling impact fee, which is about $173 million or so this, this year. But in exchange for that, what they put in were a whole series of changes, not only to the way DEP handles oil and gas permits, but also to the way it reviews and handles all the other permits that DEP issues, from waste to water to strip mining to any program DEP administers. One of the items that has really got a lot of attention, maybe not enough, but certainly got our attention as a measure that would require a legislative appointed committee to, to sign off or approve permitting decisions that normally would be in the purview of DEP. That's absolutely correct, and that's, that's one of several troublesome provisions related to, to permits. What they did was create what they characterize as a special purpose seven-member air quality permit advisory committee. And it's dominated by six members who are appointed by the Senate and House leadership and one member by the governor. And its purpose, its only purpose, is to approve. They have to vote to approve any general air quality permits meant to regulate oil and gas operations, meaning methane emissions from oil and gas operations. If they don't approve it, then DEP can't implement controls on methane emissions from oil and gas operations. And this is really the first time I can find in history that a legislatively dominated body, remember six legislative appointments to one governor's appointment, had veto authority and in fact must affirmatively vote to approve emission requirements over a particular industry without having the Senate and the House pass new legislation or a resolution that is then given to the governor for his action. So the old checks and balances that you learned about in high school civics are gone. And this is an extremely bad, bad precedent for the future. This kind of a precedent could mean that for any state agency, not just DEP, for anything that the General Assembly didn't like, or the current leadership in General Assembly didn't like, they could adopt this kind of approach of legislatively dominated panel to veto anything that the executive branch comes up with without having the House and Senate even vote on anything. So it sets a tremendously bad precedent for every state agency, not just DEP. In the scenario we're talking about, DEP is still ostensibly making decisions, but then they have to be approved, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down by this committee. Is that right? Well, what this committee isn't making individual decisions on individual permits. What this committee is doing is either approving or not approving the actual emission standard and requirements that would then be applied to individual situations by DEP. So this is the fundamental not regulation, but this is the fundamental general permit in this instance that they would have authority to approve. And without it, without their approval, DEP couldn't adopt any standard in this area. 
So then down at the individual decision-making level, too, there's some changes potentially in terms of who makes those calls. Uh, there's something about a private permitting program included in these riders. Can you tell me about that? This particular rider, which you know, really would have broad impact in the agency, it requires DEP to set up what's called a third-party review program for any of its permits. It doesn't matter what those are. You know, waste, water, mining, anything that, that DEP issues a permit for. And what it says is the third parties have to be licensed professionals, individuals licensed by the state to be, get this, professional landscape architects, engineers, land surveyors, or geologists. And they would be designated as agents of the Commonwealth to review all these permit applications whether or not they had any expertise in what the applications dealt with or whether or not they were familiar with even all the regulations and requirements, both state and federal, that permit applications have to meet. There are a couple of other troublesome provisions in here. One is it actually allows a permit applicant, the applicant for a permit, to choose which of those individual licensed professionals they want to review their permit. Now, you know, your local land surveyor might be a real nice person, but do they really have the background and knowledge and training to review a hazardous waste permit? I don't think so. And this language would allow that. There's also no conflict of interest provision in here. A landscape architect or an engineer who prepared, you know, their own application for a project could review their own application. It's not prohibited by this language. So whoever thought this up basically took a a very thin concept and didn't really think it through in my view because there are just so many holes in, in this kind of a program. Yet it's mandated on the agency to cover all of its permits. It does seem very kind of hastily conceived, and we want to get back to some of the problems that may arise from that down the road, but I just want to spell out a couple more details of what's in the amendments that we're concerned about. There's another one that would automatically deem permit applications as approved if they've not been addressed within a particular time frame. Can you, can you give some details on that? Yeah, that, that provision deals with just the Marcellus Shale oil and gas well permits that they need. You know, Deemed approved has been used only very rarely in uh, other kinds of programs. It's used in a land recycling program. It's used a couple of other places. But this this all goes back to some facts I think you, you need to, to know about. You know, the, the industry has been upset for some time, you know, about how fast DEP is reviewing their permits. And one of the things, interesting things that DEP found was that among Oil and gas permits in particular, 50 to 60% of the applications they get in are incomplete or have technical flaws in. They have to send them back to the applicant, which chews up time because the applicant has to then fix the, the permit application and resubmit it to DEP. There's no offsetting requirement in here that, for example, to ultimately be deemed approved would only cover an application that was complete when it was submitted. This is a two-way street. DEP needs to get a good 
application in so it doesn't have to go back and forth with the applicant and you know industry does need some sort of certainty in reviewing permits but both parties need to live up to their obligations and I don't see anything in here that would make the permit applicants do anything they could continue to submit applications 50 or 60 percent of which are incomplete or flawed and expect still expect DEP to review them and if they can't get enough time to do that then they're deemed approved that's in my my view that's just not right well, and there's a, a bit of a, an element of adding insult to injury with the fact that this is legislation accompanying a budget in which, again, we've got significant underfunding for DEP. That's one of the reasons why maybe in some cases we have slower than ideal turnaround on permit applications, right? They're understaffed. As a result of that, it takes longer to process. And now we're being told that uh, now DEP is going to be penalized for that as well. Well, I think, you know, certainly the third party reviews is an idea that has been been around by some conservative members of, of the House and Senate as a way to speed things up. But what they haven't taken responsibility for in the legislature is the fact that they have cut DEP's general fund funding, which covers an awful lot of permit reviews, by 40% over the last decade or more. And that resulted in reducing DEP's staff by over 20%. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me that uh, legislators are sitting over there saying, you've got to do permits faster, you've got to do permits faster. At the same time, they keep cutting DEP's budget. It doesn't make any logical sense. You wouldn't run a business like that, but yet the General Assembly expects everything to go along the same as it was, except with 20% fewer staff and 40% fewer dollars. And that just doesn't make any sense. You know, there, there are issues with permit reviews and turnaround times. Most of that is because of the cut in funding and the, the drastic cut in staff. That just makes logical sense that you're going to have that kind of a, an outcome. So, you know, the third-party review is, was a way that some members thought they would get around it. But that still requires money to do. And they're not providing any money. To do that. So it, it really doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't even address the problem. There's going to be more confusion as a result of all this, more delays as a result of all this, and you know, hopefully these provisions will be fixed or taken out, preferably taken out, so we don't end up with land surveyors reviewing hazardous waste permits. In the event that some of these actually do get through and become law, are they going to end up in court? And if so, on what basis might they be challenged? Well, I've, I think you have to sort of divide that into two parts. One, obviously the department's going to have to struggle to deal with these provisions if, if they survive. Provisions for which, again, they've gotten no funding. So it's going to make their situation worse. In terms of other parties who may challenge this in court, I mean, the fact that you have these permit quote reforms in a tax code bill which has nothing to do with the budget and let me say that again these things have nothing to do with the budget these were only put in there as a result of deals to get the severance tax through and to buy votes in the senate 
So it has nothing to do with, with the budget itself for spending dollars. I have heard that groups are going to challenge this based on constitutional grounds, particularly their review of the committee review and veto over administrative actions. That's clearly something that I think could be challenged. Just any of these provisions stuck in a tax code bill could be challenged because of the single subject rule, as they call it, a legal principle where a bill has to deal with one subject. This clearly has nothing to do whatsoever with taxes, which these are in a tax code bill, and certainly nothing to do with the budget. So I think there's going to be grounds for challenging these actions by other parties. You alluded earlier to the effect that this would have on DEP's uh, permits for methane emissions in the oil and gas industry. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Well, there's over the last year, there's been a back and forth between DEP and some members of the General Assembly who have been opposed to the general permits that DEP has put together and proposed and rolled out for, for public review. They aren't final yet. They're still proposed. DEP's now reviewing all its public comments. But to solve this problem by legislatively creating, you know, what I think is an unconstitutional panel is, is no solution. And again, they don't even know what's going to be in the final version of these general permits that DEP has been working on for more than a year. It's akin to what they did last year. You have to remember last year, the issue was also related to oil and gas operations. At that point, DEP was, had finalized regulations covering both the conventional regular oil and gas operations and the Marcellus Shale natural gas operations. The first day, update of those regulations in years. And the General Assembly decided to kill the conventional regulations, and they did. And Governor Wolf signed it into law. You know, the deal then was, we'll kill conventional, but you can have your regulations covering Marcellus Shale drilling operations. Now they're coming back with another bite at the apple and say, well, this year we don't like your methane emission standards, so we're going to kill that too without this time passing any legislation to do that specifically. We'll set up this review panel. You know, what, what's it going to be next? So if we can kind of game out the next few weeks of the legislative process, what happens next? When might there be a vote on this and what could change between now and then? And, you know, how can people get involved in this process? Well, I think people have got to make their feelings known. I think they've got to study these issues. They've got to make their feelings known. If they want land surveyors, to review hazardous waste permits, God bless them, tell that to somebody. But, you know, most people don't. And I think they need to express their opposition to the local House and Senate member. I think what's going to happen in the House is the House Republicans clearly don't like the actual parts of their uh, Senate-passed budget revenue proposal, so they're going to come up with something else. Maybe transfers, unfortunately, from the Keystone and Environmental Stewardship and Growing Greener Fund and other environmental funds like they've done in the past. That itself is an issue. People need to understand that what these kinds of things have done is really taken money away from them locally to do recreation projects, clean up their watersheds, clean up abandoned mines. And they need to understand that. But what's going to happen is the folks who run the house right now won't like the tax provisions, but unfortunately, I think 
they're going to like some of these permit changes and that's where people have got to be focused again if they like land surveyors reviewing hazardous waste permits then that's fine but i would venture a guess that 99.99 percent of the people out there don't and they've got to let their house and senate members know that they oppose this it doesn't make a bit of sense well, David, as always, we appreciate your time today. Thanks for helping us get a better handle on what's happening here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. Subscribe to the PA Environment Daily Newsletter and visit paenvironmentdigest.com to stay on top of environment news from all over the state. Also check out the PA Capital Digest blog, both edited by David Hess of Cresci Associates, former secretary of the Department of Environmental Protection and frequent guest on the Pennsylvania Legacies podcast. Lots more happening with the budget and with DEP at PECPA.org. You can read our policy positions, our letters to lawmakers on this and other issues. You can sign up to receive our newsletter as well. Pennsylvania Legacies also archived there. All of our past episodes are available to listen live on the website. You can, of course, subscribe on iTunes or listen on SoundCloud. You can find it at Pennsylvania Legacies, any number of other places. Wherever you do, please take a moment to rate and review. We appreciate it. And that'll do it for this week. We'll have another show out next Friday. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>